If you have your Bibles, let's hold them up. I'm a child of God. I have in my hand the powerful Word of God. It can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Give a high five, pound your neighbor there, let them know they're loved in the Lord. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus loves you. And turn to the other neighbor and say, and so do I. <laughs> Just in case you might have forgot. All right. Oh, next Sunday's going to be a great day. We have our Thanksgiving service, praise service. Uh, uh, there won't be a quote-unquote sermon, so uh, you're all rejoicing. And uh, however, you are the sermon. So I'm expecting you to stand and to testify of what you're thankful for. So I'm giving you a whole week to think about it, and uh, you come come in, and sure enough, somebody's going to stand in front of you and say what you were going to say. I already know that, so have two or three things that you're thankful for, all right? Just in case you, uh, you and, and my luck is uh, they'll say all the stuff that you were going to say. But you know what? Say it anyway. It won't hurt to hear it three or four or five hundred times, amen? They were all thankful for our family and all that. So just, you stand up and, and testify what you're thankful for, because that's what it's about. Chatworth High School in Los Angeles, a teacher known as Mr. Memorial, real name is Brian Rooney, science teacher, and since 1970, he has spent over $200,000 of his retirement money and his savings contacting every city and town in this country by mail or by fax, seeking to learn information on any men and women who have given their lives for our country. We just celebrated Veterans Day last week, and what a blessing we have in this country because of our veterans. And so... Rooney says, my mission is to bring humanity to every one of these who've given their lives for our country. And that mission actually began in the jungles of Vietnam some years ago, some 30 plus years ago, with a promise that he made to a dying soldier. Two simple words whispered to Brian Rooney, a young army medic, two words as he leaned over a mortally wounded soldier, trying to read the name tags hanging around his neck. The young man looked up at Brian Rooney and he said, Remember me. Remember me. And those words rang in his ears as he died, and Brian Rooney promised that he would remember this young man. And so that promise has grew into an obsession and he now spends much of his time cataloging memorials for the war dead, making sure that they are cared for and that they are remembered. His work led to a bipartisan bill providing federal support for a national registry of veterans memorials. He has personally categorized and visited the memorials of over 8,600 soldiers sailors, airmen, and marines 
from all 50 states. In that one battlefield exchange, the sacrifice of a young soldier became personal to an army medic. Whispered words connected him to this dying hero, a man he had never met before. It hit this young medic that the freedoms he enjoyed were bought by the blood and tears and deaths of the men who, like countless others throughout our nation's history, whisper the words, remember me. I can't escape the sense that I live and I breathe. The air freedom purchased at tremendous cost. And that price is even now being given in the lives of brave young men and women scattered across our globe in danger zones all around the world. I stand as one who has received a gift for which I have paid little for from from those who have paid the ultimate price to provide it for me. And what can I say in the face of of this staggering generosity. I have not personally suffered the scars of war to gain the many liberties that all of us commonly enjoy. These come to me at a terrible price given by those who deemed such loss a worthy thing for what was gained. All of us are the beneficiaries of their courage and from their valiant deaths come this gift that most of the world has never known, that awesome gift called freedom. And in the same way, but with extraordinarily more significance and meaning, we who are called Christians by God this morning have received from Him a gift for which we have contributed nothing. In fact, as we shall see, we are not only undeserving of this gift, but we are ill-deserving of it as well. And you say, well, what do you mean by that, preacher? Well, I mean that we not only have done nothing to merit receiving anything good from God, but we have actively opposed Him, fought against Him, belittled Him, struck out against the very one that we need the most. This morning there is a word that I want to call to you for your consideration that is so important, so necessary, so foundational to the real hope in our lives. It's the one word that I've added to our trauma toolbox because sooner or later your ordinary life will be knocked off its feet by calamity. One of these days trouble will deliver a a right hook to your jaw. And it will send you to your knees. And in that moment, all you have will be what you possessed five minutes before that blow. So we're checking out what we have inside to see if we're equipped for the coming storms of life. And trust me, my friends, they are coming. If they're not here already. So far we've seen that the Lord, He is God, that the Bible is His Word to us, that we are lost and in desperate need of a mighty rescuer, and that there is one and only one who can do that, and His name is Jesus. Hallelujah. (laughs) Because see, in the midst of all the bad stuff going on and the calamity around us, guess what? God is still on the throne. 
Amen? Though you may lose your job tomorrow morning, Jesus is still on the throne. Yeah, but he doesn't pay the bills, preacher. I got you. I got you. But he'll give you the fortitude to work through it. And now's the time when the church should come together, is it not? We have a pantry full of food. Over 300 pounds of food was given in the month of October. Let's empty the, let's empty the uh, pantry shed. God's laid on the heart of one of our members that that pantry ministry should be something that they get involved in. Hallelujah. We got it all set up, and, and I'm grateful that we had another uh, of our church folks come and, and get all the stuff out of the basket and get it up on the shelves. Now we've got another one ready to step in and start putting stuff in sacks. Hallelujah. So when somebody calls and said, I'm hungry, I'd hand them a sack and say, here you go. They ought to take care of you for about four days. Hallelujah. And it's time for us to do it for ourselves. Today, today though, I want to add that all-important truth, without which all of these previous truths that I just mentioned are of no help. Leave this out. We're finished. Separated from God. Incapable of doing anything to change that. Receive it. And the whole world's altered. And all is right with God forever. Here's the truth you must know if you would ever be righteous in God's eyes. And that truth is salvation is a gift you receive, not a paycheck you earn. Let me say that again. It is a gift you receive, not a paycheck you earn. We live in a time when everybody believes that they should get something for doing nothing. Does that work in your house? I'm telling you, parents, if your kids won't clean up their room, take out the trash, mow the yard, do some stuff to help you around the house, don't feed them anymore. Don't feed them another morsel of food. Shut the child line down. And listen to them. Where did they feed it? Mama, when did you make me some food? Oh, they're the most pitiful looking things in the world. They get some puppy dog tears. And... I'm telling you. I'm telling you. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. Women, men, when they get sick, aren't they just like that? We men are the most pathetic looking sick people you've ever found. We curl up and we shake even if we don't have the shakes. And we look, we look, you know, like we're just about to die. And what do those women do to us men? They just throw us a piece of bread and say, have at it. But you let that kid get sick, oh my, they take off work, they, they, they cook them a chicken noodle soup, and they... Oh, my God. Salvation is a gift you receive, not a paycheck you earn. Don't underestimate the significance of that, of that biblical truth. You get it wrong, it's incredibly easy to get it wrong. You miss heaven. You miss heaven. And I'm not overstating that. Please don't think I'm overstating that. You learn, you, you learn on your own merits. Your religious fervor, the sincerity of your motives, or the goodness of your overall behavior, and you still remain in your sins, 
you fall into the wrath of God. You cannot good your way to heaven. You cannot hope your way to heaven. You cannot ride on the coattails of your grandparents or your parents to heaven. It is your choice, your individual purchase. Salvation was purchased for you by the blood of Jesus for you. I should have had a rounding amen. Thank you, brother. I don't know what rounding amen is, but thank you for catching on. I'm convinced that a great many people, a great many people who go to church regularly are going to be shocked one day when they are driven from the presence of God forever. And he says, depart from me because I don't even know who you are. I don't even want to round it. Amen. You see, here's what happens. Oh, we talk it. Oh, we're good at talking. But are we going to walk it? You see, we are in the greatest position as the church. We missed the opportunity on 9-11. Let us not miss the opportunity, church, this time. When you have the leaders of 20 nations, world nations, coming together in Washington, D.C., and they're all sitting there going, don't know, don't know. Hey, there's our opportunity. If we, God's people, will humble ourselves and pray and seek His face and turn from our wicked way, then He will hear our prayers and heal our land. If we just God's people, just God's people to do that. Amen? And my new president claims that he's one of us. So I'm praying for that heart. I'm going to pray for his heart. That God gets to his heart. And you might say, well, one, one man can't change things. Oh, yes, they can. Because of the power of one vote, you can change things. But you get one influential person, and boy, I've not seen a guy talk slicker than that guy that's coming in to be president. He can talk. But what do you do with a guy like that that's on fire for Jesus? Uh-huh. Now you with me? Paul thought he was doing God's work too, didn't he? God had to blind him on the road. And when he got his attention, boy, he became a good one, didn't he? He turned it on, didn't he? Well, we can turn it around. We can turn it around. I'm convinced that a great many people, I'm convinced, bunches of them going to church today are going to wake up one day and be sad, sad, sad. Because all they did was wear the name and they didn't do anything about the name. He's going to want you and me to stand, does he not? He wants you and I to be firm in our faith in Him. And that it takes on different forms and different fashions. But I want you to join with me this morning as we focus on one of the clearest statements of faith on, this, on that subject in the Bible. Found in Ephesians chapter 2. So turn there in your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be focusing more on verses 4 through 9. But in those opening verses, the Apostle Paul writes about the true condition of every human Apart from Christ, left to ourselves, we are sinners, all of us, enslaved to spiritual forces that we don't comprehend, forces that are hell-bent to give you just enough of whatever it takes to get you to drift through this life without ever seriously considering your need of the Savior who is 
Christ Jesus. The picture in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, is a rather hopeless picture. We are dead toward God, dominated by the devil, and destined for hell. I mentioned that just a few weeks ago, by the way. There is absolutely nothing that we can do to change our standing before God. Not a thing. By nature and by choice, we are an offense to God. And in Hebrews 10 and verse 31, it says it is a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of the living God. Do not fear Him who can kill your body in hell. Fear Him who can kill both body and soul in hell. And that is your heavenly Father. You better take a healthy fear of Him. And you better be in awe of Him. And you better straighten up, set up straight, and march correctly. Amen. And we need to get understanding this, folks. And we need to get about living this, folks. And look at what verses 4-9 through nine say. But God, who is abundant in mercy, because of His great love that He had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses or sins. By grace you are saved. He also raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might display the immeasurable riches of His grace in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you are saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from your works, so that no one can boast. You see, if we did it, if we accomplished it, then we'd go around bragging about it. Yeah, hey, look what I did. Y'all are glad to have me on, on board, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how we'd be. We'd be walking around just going. You'd hear somebody saying, boy, I'm glad I'm saved. You're welcome. You're welcome. No problem. Glad to do it. That's what we do. When Jesus hears us bragging about, hey, man, look at it, I'm saved. You know what Jesus does? His hands start bleeding again. His hands start bleeding again. Oh. See, for us to claim that we're saved and be braggadocious about being saved, it's like the blood sacrifice. Hebrews 12 and chapter, verse 4 says, Until you begin to shed your blood for the cause of Christ, quit your bragging and quit your belly aching. Oh, but Lord, it's so hard. My kids, they won't get up, and I can't get to church on time, and I'm having such a hard time. I just won't go today alone. Nothing's going right, God. Nothing's going right. Toast is burned. Eggs burned. Husband slash wife, you fell in the blank. You know, God, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, those, those are our big ones, aren't they? All they do is ask for money. That's all they do. That's all they ever do is ask for money. One time a year, and it happens to be the, you know, the Sunday, that the preacher preaches on, you know, I didn't even preach about giving. I just hand you a slip and said, you go read about it. Educate yourself about it. But somebody will be offended by that. You know why they get offended by that? Because usually they're not giving. But what happens when we get sick? When the doctor says, you've got... If you were Kevin, and the doctor said, you got spots on your lung, what's the first thing you're going to do? I'm going to call a preacher. Man, preacher, pray for me. Put me on the prayer list, that prayer chain, every, everything you can. Preacher, uh, you got anything around church that needs to be done? Preacher, 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 preacher. And see, my phone's disconnected. Now what do you do? I'm sorry, preacher, he's never there when I need him. 
right? Or you call him a phone, he goes to voicemail. He never accepts phone. He called her ID, he sees it's me, and he ain't going to answer the phone. And then what do we do? But boy, if I do answer the phone, what do you do? Oh, man, this is full. And you have repented, and you are back to, I mean, your, your offerings are going to increase. <laughs> People are going to be one to Christ. And as soon as God brings healing to your body, what happens? Am I supposed to remind you? Because if I do, what happens? You know what happens, don't you? If the preacher comes and reminds you what you promised, what happens? Hey, it's none of your business. Well, you'd be prying him out. Are you judging me? Yeah. That's it. That's it. You know, I got up this morning, I just I made a list of people I'm going to go judge today. You know, my feet hit the floor and God put on my heart, okay, here's the eight people and go judge them, Pastor. Go get them, boy. Here we go. And so like a bloodhound, I get in my truck and I'm driving in the road, boy, I'm looking for number one. Gotcha. <laughs> I go to number two. Gotcha. <laughs> I get down to number eight. I can't wait to get number eight because I've got seven ahead of me. <laughs> Yeah? That's my whole day. Give me a break. Yeah. That's the God you and I know. That's the God you and I know. God is taking action. He's taking action to reverse our condition in sin. In a word, God has done everything, everything necessary to save sinners. Why? Why? What impulse moved Him to have anything at all to do with us? Why did God come for me and for you? Because He does love us, doesn't He? Let me share a story that might help you see that just a little clearer. Shortly after the Korean War, a Korean woman had an affair with an American soldier and she got pregnant. Wow, how does that happen? Well, he went back to the United States and she never saw him again. She gave birth to a little girl and this little girl looked different than the other Korean children. And in that culture of mixed races, a mixed race person was ostracized by the community. Many women, in fact, would kill their children so that they wouldn't have to face the rejection that they would feel and sense and, and, and have to undergo. But this woman didn't do that. She raised, tried to raise the little girl as best she could. She could. And by the age of seven, the rejection began to set in. And it began to start taking its toll. And finally, this unwed mother did something that probably nobody in this room this morning could ever imagine doing. She abandoned her little girl to the streets. And for the next two years, this little girl had to figure out life in a very hard world. Which was made even harder because she was different. People were terribly harsh with her. She was tagged with one of the ugliest words in the Korean language to describe her coming from a mixed relationship. It didn't take long for this little girl to draw conclusions about herself based on the way the world treated her. But in her ninth year of life, 
something unexpected happened that changed everything. First, this girl found an orphanage and was taken in. And it meant some measure of security could return and would return to her life. And she wouldn't have to uh, beg for food and clothing and shelter and make that her daily pursuit. The second thing that happened was within a few days of her arrival, word came that a couple from America was going to adopt a little boy. And all, all the children in the orphanage got excited because at least one little boy was going to have hope. He was going to have a family. So this girl at nine years old spent the day polishing up the youngest boys, giving them baths and combing their hair. Everyone was wondering which boy would have their dreams come true. The time came when the American couple arrived. And I want to quote directly from what the little girl said in the article. She said, I'll let you... He says, it was like Goliath. Goliath had come back to life. I saw the man with his huge hands lift up each and every baby. I knew he loved every one of them as if they were his own. I saw tears running down his face, and I knew if they could, they would have taken the whole bunch of them home. And then he saw me out of the corner of his eye. Now, let me tell you, I was nine years old, but I didn't even weigh 30 pounds. I was a scrawny thing. I had worms in my body. I had lice in my hair. I had boils all over me. I was full of scars. I was not a pretty sight. But the man came over to me and began rattling away something in English, and I looked up at him. And then he took his huge hand and he laid it on my face, what is he saying? He was saying, I want this child. This is the child for me. Now, if you can enter into that story and you can feel what it's like to be totally unlovable and yet be wanted, if you can, be, if you can echo the experience of feeling in the same moment both unworthiness and great love, then you are really close to understanding how God feels about you. How God feels about you. His great love. His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. His rich mercy. But the single most powerful word to describe why God did this for us and why he responds to pull us from the pits of hell. That word in the gospel is called grace. It's called grace. Three times in four verses we find that word. In verses 8 and 9, Paul breaks the word wide open when he says, For by grace you are saved through faith. Look in your text. For, for by grace you are saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is God's gift. Underline that. Highlight that. Circle that. It is God's gift, not from works, so that you can boast. Three things I want you to see and believe. We're almost through. Number one, salvation is the free gift 
of our gracious God. Salvation is the free gift of our gracious God. That's the whole point of the word grace. Grace is that unmerited, free favor of God expressed toward guilty and unworthy sinners. It is love that doesn't make sense. To drive that home, Paul comes right out and he says that our salvation is not from us. It's God's gift. Not from our works. So if you think, well, I've been baptized, preacher. Well, I've been a leader at the church. I've been an elder or a deacon. I've taught Sunday school. I've been a youth worker. I've I've been a prayer intercessor. I've been I've played the, the instruments. I've I've sang in the worship team. I, I I've, I've done communion once a month. I've 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 been here when I've cleaned the church. I've I've been here on work days. I've been... Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because you see, we can't do enough for God. Am I I sinking home yet? Because if you have those gifts and talents and you're not using them, shame on you. And age is not an issue. Well, I just can't get around like I used to, but you get around. How do I know that? I run run onto you in the store. I see you driving down the street. I guess that's what you call driving. But I love it when people say, well, I just can't get around. Well, you get around. I see you at the restaurant. I see you at the stores. You get around. Whatever's important is what will be for you. Amen. Yeah. Wives, if your husband says he loves you but never shows you, it's pretty empty, isn't it? Husbands, wives that say they love you but never show you, it's pretty empty, isn't it? You know, a hug every now and then doesn't hurt. Yeah. Up through your lips and kiss him right now. Ooh, man. You want to see the old guy kill off and have good life insurance so you can spend for the rest of your life? Start showing him that affection. It'll kill him right there on the spot. Boom, man. <laughs> Hadn't seen it in so long. He don't know what that is. Hey, hey, hey. What's up there? Just kidding. Not in your house, I know. Salvation is a free gift of our gracious God. You don't earn it. You don't earn a gift, you earn a paycheck. What paycheck have we earned from God? Well, Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. Our sin put Jesus on the cross. Do you understand that? Say amen. Yes, preacher, I understand that. Then if your sin put Him on the cross to die for that sin, what's the next step? That same verse, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Ooh, yeah. All right. That's the great news. That's great news. God's salvation comes only to those who are at the end of themselves. <laughs> they come with no merits of their own, no bragging points, no negotiations. They realize that their only hope is found not in anything they have done, but in what He has already accomplished for them. (laughs) Because it's not about you and me. Never has been, never will be. It's all about Jesus Christ. 
Amen? And the sooner we answer that, the sooner we resolve that, the better it is. The better it is. Number two, salvation is free gift of our gracious God. Number two, God gives us the capacity to receive His gift. Dead in sins, we're unable to even respond to His loving Word to us, which is why He not only sends His Son to atone for our sins, but He, he sends someone else to tell us the good news, but gives us the gift of faith so that we might trust Him. Every one of us who found Christ found Him because somebody told us about it. Amen? You didn't just wake up one day and go, Ooh, I think I'm going to get a relationship with Jesus Christ. Somebody told you. Can you remember who did that? You remember who sat down with you and took you through the Scripture and showed you Jesus Christ? That's a very special person in your life, isn't it? Should be. I hope you're not sitting there going, No, I can't, I can't remember who that was. How sad. How sad. I'm all. I'll never forget you. I'll never forget you. Ever, ever, ever. Tom Moss sat down with me at 8 o'clock on a Saturday morning. Got me out of bed. Tell me the good news of Jesus, that he can save my soul. Challenged me to be baptized on Sunday morning. I said, don't do that. You've heard my testimony. I said, it was Saturday. I thought, well, I'll get him here. So I said, okay, I'll do it today. He said, what time? I said, I don't know. You tell me. He said, well, it don't matter. I said, 1030. He said, okay, 1030. I said, man, I can't get this guy out of here. He's like a chick. And I, don't, I didn't even really know, understand what I was doing. I listened. I heard the words. But, I, you know, you, you still don't grasp it all, do you? So I got to the church at 1030. We climbed up in that water. He baptized me. And I'm telling you, ever since I rose from that water, nothing's been the same. Nothing's been the same. Except my sin nature is still there. And I keep trying to kill it. But I'm too selfish. I'm too selfish. I won't, I won't let it die. I won't let it die. But day by day, I'm getting better. Day by day, day by day, I'm getting better. How about you? You got enough guts to say that? You got enough courage to say that? Because you see, I've got a loving God that loves me in spite of who I am. Because He died for my sins. Covered them all. Even the ones I haven't done yet. I'm glad. God gives us the capacity to receive this gift. And then thirdly, salvation is free gift. Of our gracious God, He gives us the capacity to receive it. Number three, if the gift is God's to give and the ability to receive it comes from Him, then all the glory is God's. If it's not by my achievements nor a reward for any good or religious or generous deeds that I've done, I have nothing I can boast in except the Lord, then listen. Listen, religions are basically divided into two categories. Most spell righteousness with God, D-O. D-O. I have to earn it. Compel God uh, by my good life and, and religious activity and philanthropy to overlook my sins, with, which are minor in my own eyes. And this is salvation by works. It's up to me if it's meant to be. This is what Jesus meant by the broad way that, that many find. It's the way that leads to destruction. Christianity spells righteousness with God, D-O-N-E. Done. It believes the Bible's prognosis of our condition, and it recognizes that our only hope lies outside ourselves. 
That's why all the leaders of the world need to get on the cross to Christ. He's got the answer. If you'll take away greed, and you'll take away, you'll take away selfishness, and you'll take away what's in it for me. We all love the statements that presidents make. And what did Kennedy say? Don't ask what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Revolutionize the whole the whole time in the 60s. But we've slipped further and further and further, further into that narcissistic culture. That says, what's in it for me? Churches are full of people today that say, what's in it for me? What you got for me today, preacher? You got anything for me? Oh, you, your song? I don't like the way you say Well, you preach, you know, I want you, to, I want you to tell me just how good I am, how everything's going to be all right. But i got to wake you up first and I get you to see it. And I have just told you that everything's going to be all right. If, if you cling to the cross, if you have a relationship with the cross, if you don't have that relationship, you're not clinging, <laughs> things don't look so good. Good news. The good news is God spells... It done. Salvation is a gift to be received, not a paycheck to be earned. Father, we ask you this morning to come into this building and this room in this very moment. And Father, to do a mighty work. To reach into the lives of people that are hurting, people that are struggling, people that are hungry. Dads who've been laid off from their jobs need new jobs. Men and women who tomorrow morning could receive a pink slip and have been producers in their business and have been doing a very good job. Sin is no respecter of persons. And you don't show favoritism either, Father. You simply ask us to come to your son Jesus in repentance. Out of a broken spirit. So that you can heal us. God, the great news is. Is that in an instant, what the locusts have eaten away, you can restore. In an instant, the feeling of despair and hopelessness can be flipped over to hope, to life, to joy. So Father, if there's somebody here today during this invitation time that needs to respond to your invitation, we ask them to come. Give them courage, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.